the weight of the shame must have been tremendous. Peter, in all his zeal, all his boisterous boasting, all his clamor, had told Jesus, Jesus, I will die for you before anything ever happens to you. And yet Jesus' prophecy must have come crushingly to Peter as he denies him three times. Can you imagine the way Peter felt when he denied Jesus after making such boastful statements? After all, who is Peter? Peter was one of the inner three of Jesus' disciples. How many times in the Gospels do we read about Peter, James, and John? Peter was there at the Transfiguration. One of just three disciples that Jesus brought with him when he met with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Peter was one of the three that Jesus wanted closest to him as he prays in the garden of Gethsemane. Peter was in the inner circle. And Peter was one who often was gung-ho to demonstrate his love and loyalty to Jesus. It was Peter, after all, who refused to let Jesus wash his feet and said, you can't wash my feet, you're Jesus. Until Jesus said, Peter, I have to do this or you have no part of me. And then Peter said, well, wash not just my feet, but wash my entire body, Lord. It was Peter who rebuked Jesus when Jesus told the disciples of his impending death. You're not going to die, Jesus. I don't want you to even talk like that. It was Peter who jumped out of the boat to swim to the shore when he saw Jesus and he knew that it was Jesus that was on the shore. And of course it was Peter when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane who took out his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. Peter constantly was loving and demonstrating his love and loyalty to Jesus. Can anyone doubt his admiration for Jesus? But then in those darkest hours between midnight and maybe 6 or 8 o'clock in the morning when Jesus was arrested and brought before Caiaphas and the high priest and, and Annas, that we find Peter denying Jesus. It was then that Peter fell face first. Notice what we see in John chapter 8, 18. Verse 17 tells us that the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. He denies Jesus. A little bit later on in the text, verse 25, those warming themselves said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And then in verse 26, One of the servants of the high priest said to Peter, 
Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. Three times he denied being his disciple. Three times he said, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus. But look at those incidents more closely. When we sneak back into John chapter 18, we begin reading verse 18. Notice what we find out. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And so imagine this picture. Here's Peter. Jesus has been arrested. Uh, just a little while ago, just a, a few hours ago, G- Peter was boasting of his love to, and, and his loyalty to Jesus and said, I'll die for you, Jesus. And now here he is cowering by the door. And as he cowers by the door, or at least cowers by the gate, one of the other disciples, probably John, who knew the high priest, had gone in with Jesus, and he knows where Peter's at. Peter's hiding. Peter wants to see, but not be seen. And he knows where Peter's at, and he he goes to the guard at the gate, and he says, hey, I, I know this guy, Peter, let me bring him in. And the lady, the slave girl who opens the gate, says, hey, wait a minute, aren't you one of his disciples? But you see, Peter perhaps is concerned for his own security. Concerned for his own well-being, he says, I don't know that guy. I'm not one of his disciples. Look at the next verse. Verse 18. Now the slaves and the officers who were standing there, having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold, and they were warming themselves, and Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you are not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Who's at the fire? The slaves of the high priests? And of those in charge? And some of the officers who were going, who had arrested Jesus and had responsibility to watch over Jesus and to persecute, or prosecute rather, crime. Peter kind of sneaks into the courtyard and he's cold like everyone else and there's a fire over there. And who's at the fire but these officers? Who's the one that asks Peter, are you one of his disciples? But those officers warming themselves at the fire. Peter's concerned about his security, his own well-being. But then look at verse 26. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. 
one of the slaves of the high priest was among those warming themselves at the fire. But you see, this wasn't just any slave of the high priest. This was a relative of the slave whose ear Peter cut off when they arrested Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. In Roman slavery, you would allow your slaves to marry and have children, but they were slaves of that master. And so when this slave says to Peter, hey, aren't you, didn't I see you in the garden? This isn't just some innocent bystander who happened to see Peter in the garden or think they saw Peter in the garden. This was the man's wife or son or daughter who watched Peter cut off dad's ear. Perhaps. They know very well who Peter is. They're not just making an interested statement. Hey, didn't I see you in the garden? They're saying, didn't I not see you in the garden? Can you see how Peter, because of his fear, because of the concern for his own well-being and security, uh, dared not say, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus? But how devastating would this have been to Peter, the one who boasted uh, just a little while ago, Jesus, I'm going to make sure nothing happens to you. Jesus, I'll die for you. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus dies and is buried and is raised again. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, for a period of 40 days, Jesus continued to meet in His resurrected state with His apostles. But in John chapter 21, we read of one of those encounters that Jesus has with His apostles. And it's on the beach. And they have breakfast. But notice what happens after breakfast in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep or tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd, my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? Can you imagine how Peter felt... in the days in between Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to this moment. Everything that was weighing on his mind. I said I was going to stand up for Jesus, but I abandoned him. I denied him. The text never tells us why Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Many speculate that the thrice-repeated question was Jesus massaging Peter, giving him an opportunity to repent, giving him an opportunity to know Christ's forgiveness. We can never know because the text doesn't tell us that's why Jesus asked him three times, but it is appealing, isn't it, to us? To know that Jesus was denied by Peter three times, but now Jesus is told by Peter, I love you. 
But there's more here than just Peter receiving forgiveness from Jesus. Whether that's what Jesus was doing or not, notice the power of Jesus' compassion. Each time Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And the word that Jesus uses for love, when he asks Peter, do you love me? is the Greek word for that sacrificial love, that agape love that we often hear about. Peter, are you willing to sacrifice yourself for me? Peter, do you love me so much that you're going to give everything for me? And each time Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's not just that Jesus is is, is asking or or offering Peter a, a, a flippant, do you believe me? Or even a flippant, Peter, I forgive you. But he's given him a chance to repent. Notice the shape of the repentance. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. Follow me. Change what you're doing, Peter. Do something in response to your love. And and that's what repentance is. It's not just saying the words, but it's doing the action of changing. And Peter is, is receiving that opportunity from Jesus to have that forgiveness and to follow Jesus. Do you think it's possible that Peter felt worthless? between that denial in the courtyard and Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Can you imagine being in Peter's position? Having denied Jesus and and being so boastful, Jesus, I'll die for you. And, And he can't even tell people, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus. How worthless Peter would have felt. I... I can't do anything for Christ now. Has has there ever been a time in your life when you were going to the ball game or you were going to the bowling alley and you had great expectations for how you were going to do? Man, I'm going to hit home runs. I'm going to catch the touchdown pass. I'm going to bowl a 250. But instead, just bowl 70. You put that thing in the gutter. Or you drop every pass. You fumble the ball. You strike out every time. You miss the fly ball. You fall on your face. You let your team down. How do you feel? You have the embarrassment of going out and boasting and telling everyone, hey, look what I'm going to do. And you can't do anything. Peter has done a million times worse than that. Jesus, I'm going to die for you. And then he denies Jesus. But now Jesus is offering Peter not only forgiveness, but he's saying, Peter, I'm entrusting you. Peter, not only do I offer you forgiveness, but Peter, I'm entrusting you with responsibility for guiding and leading my sheep. Just when Peter felt like he could do nothing because look what he's done. He's he's denied Jesus three times. All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm putting things in your hand. I trust you 
Peter. Have you ever let somebody down? And when you felt like you couldn't face that person anymore, that person comes to you and says, no, you're the one that I want to do this. I know that you can do this. That's what Peter, that's what Jesus is doing with Peter. But he doesn't stop there. Notice what else Jesus says to Peter. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying what kind of death, by what kind of death, he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, You follow me. Peter had boasted and bragged and was boisterous in saying, Jesus, I'll never let anything happen to you. Jesus, I'll die for you. And then he dropped everything, fell on his face and denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And maybe he's doubting himself. But now Jesus says, not only do I forgive you, Peter, not only do I entrust into your hands my sheep, but Peter, there's going to come a day when you will stand up. Peter, there is going to come a day in which you won't deny me. Peter, there will be a day when you will have the strength in which you'll actually be willing to die to glorify me and to glorify the Father. And everything you thought of yourself, Peter, it will be there. Jesus is telling Peter, you are worth it. And I can use you. And I will use you. Now pick up yourself. Put the past behind you, Peter. And follow me. Peter, quit worrying about those three times you denied me in the courtyard. And pick yourself up because I need you to lead my sheep. Peter, follow me. Sometimes we have blown it big time. Sometimes in our lives, whether it's before we become Christians or sometimes even after we become Christians, we just really fall on our face. Maybe we're afraid to stand up for Christ. Maybe we get caught up in in sin, but there's something in our lives and we have blown it. And we tell ourselves, I'm useless. I am worthless. I'm not good enough. And Jesus says, yes, you are. If you're willing to pick things up and follow me, if you're willing to love me, if you're willing to repent, we tear ourselves up and we don't forgive ourselves. Sometimes we simply go through the motions. We tell ourselves, yes, I believe in God, 
But deep down inside, in our hearts, in our minds, we're breaking and we tell ourselves, I don't see it. I don't know how God could use me. I don't know how God could forgive me. And we're harder on ourselves than anybody else. And even though we go through the motions and we say, yes, I believe in God and yes, I love God, really we, we doubt ourselves. And we doubt our worth and our usefulness. But God, Christ, can use us. Sometimes we don't feel like we're good enough. Sometimes we don't feel like we're educated enough. Sometimes we don't feel like we're strong enough. But Jesus can use you. And we can use you. And so when we have those moments, we need to remember that God and Jesus can use us. And that God and Jesus have entrusted to us His mission and His work. Somebody says, well, wait a minute. Uh, Peter traveled uh, uh, with Jesus for three years. He saw Jesus' miracles. He, he learned at Jesus' feet. I, I could never be like Peter. I could never be someone that, that Jesus would entrust his church to or, or that Jesus would use in the work of his church. But you know what? Jesus, or Peter rather, didn't start out as a star. In fact, we've just seen how Peter, even after he spent three years with Jesus, That's when he fell on his face. After he'd seen the miracles, after he heard the teaching, after he'd been with Jesus, a day and night for three years. But Peter would grow. Peter developed. Peter would be a leader in the church. And in the same way, we develop, we grow. When we become a Christian, that's not the end of the journey, that's the beginning of the journey. And and, and we grow stronger. And as we grow stronger, uh, we, we develop and we're able to be those leaders in the church. And God can use you. Sometimes we tell ourselves, I'll never be good enough. But who was God? Who has God used? God used an immigrant who was transitory, who moved around in the Middle East, and God used Abraham to plant his people and be the father of his people. And then God used, uh, God used, uh, uh, God used a liar who ran away and couldn't hide and wanted to hide from his dishonesty. And he took Jacob and he made Jacob the father of his people Israel. And then when he was done using Jacob, or after Jacob was there, God took an adulterous, murderous man and made David king of his people. And then God took a weird, eccentric hermit living in the wilderness, and he used John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. And then God took a stuck-up religious snob named Paul and used him to spread Christianity throughout the Mediterranean world. And that snob was so snobby, he killed 
people over religion. And then he became a Christian. And God used him to spread his message throughout the world. If God can use a transitory immigrant, a runaway murderer named Moses, a scared liar named Jacob, a weird eccentric eccentric hermit, an ostracized tax collector, and a stuck-up murderous snob. God can use you. The Benbrook Church of Christ needs everyone. And you may have in the back of your mind, I, I can't serve God. There's things I can't do. God can use you. And God wants this church to change this community. The question is, can we count on you? Can Jesus count on you? When you hear the words, do you love me? Will you tell Jesus yes? And when Jesus says, tend my sheep, serve my sheep, care for my sheep, what answer will you give? If you're ready to become a disciple of Christ and to follow Jesus and be united with Jesus in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, or you're ready to be a part of this work and reach this community with the gospel, whatever your need, won't you come? As together we stand and sing.